As, as I was um, coming up here, I, I wasn't looking to make a text message on my phone, but I have email on here. And as we take the offering, I want to read something to you, and then we'll pray over the offering. We send money to a ministry in Africa, um, Pastor Salito and his wife. I won't tell you all about that. I'll just read you the, the email that I got from him the other day. Uh, it says, Hi, Brother Pat. He's Mozambican, by the way, and he's in Mombasa, Kenya. We are so thankful to hear from you. We are doing well, and his English isn't very good. Sorry, I probably don't need to tell you all this. We are doing well in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Sorry for so long without communicating with you. This month here at Iris, Kenya has been a very busy month. Because one of our short-term missionary went back to state, and other missionary is not able to work, sick. So the work became more to sit and write was difficult also we have the same boys from prison isa and james came to live with us and we started the introduction of the bible with them to prepare them to go for an intensive three-month bible school we have our rafa days on wednesday where we pick children from the streets and bring them to the bible study then they take lunch have games and go back we thank God so much because he provided people to help us. To do the street ministry, we have a boy. His name is Derek. He was from the street also, and the Lord brought him here miraculously. Also, Issa, who came from prison, was also a street boy, is helping us on picking the little boys on the street. On Sunday, Derek and Issa pick the boys for church. They shower, take breakfast, and come to church. Please pray for this children because they are so addicted to glue and drugs because of being so addicted. Once they sit, they sleep on church. The police also is persecuting them at night when they are caught, they are sent to prison. For this reason, it is, is our perspective to see them living in our house. On Monday, we visit, the, we visit the boys where they live. We share the word of God and give them biscuits and juice. James, the boy that just came from prison, helps us to distribute biscuits. We thank God for what is happening in Kenya. It became hard for us since one of our team is sick. Also, Brandon, who has been with us for six months, just went back to States. So now we are three, Pastor, Sandra, and Carly. And we also have Bible study for our boys. We are living with in the morning before they go to school and nights after dinner. Beside that, we have Women's Fellowship Tuesday and Hospital Ministry Thursday. Soon we are preparing to start a prison ministry. We hope that you will visit us soon to see what God is doing in Kenya. We will send pictures soon. We love you and your family. Bless this offering, Lord, we ask. 
ask like every week that you multiply it, that you use it for the purpose of your kingdom, God, and that you'll continue to give us wisdom, discipline, and obedience to send it to the places where you are. Mike, he's going to help me if I need it later if that happens again. Okay, can I get a stool from maybe Chelsea? Can I use your stool today? I'll get back on my little spot so that the glow from my forehead is just as powerful as it can possibly be. Oh, man. Wasn't that a beautiful letter? Teresa and I, when we were in Africa that summer, Pastor Salitu... Um, I don't know if you've heard of Iris Ministries, Heidi and Logan Baker, was, I think, the first Mozambican that they ordained as a pastor in their ministry in the capital. And um, we met him at ministry school, missionary school. Everyone in Iris has to go through the school that we were there for the summer. And we struck a relationship with him when Dr. Eric was here. Some of you remember when Dr. Eric preached. And... Um, we were telling him that we sent some money to Iris. He said, you should direct it to Salitu. He's the man of the most high character I've ever seen in my life, and the work he's doing in Kenya is amazing, but it's hard. So that's kind of the, the short background. Some of you are going to go to Kenya. Um, we allocate our money. When it comes in, we pay our bills with the first bit, and then we allocate to places like Matthew 25, which is where we send money out of that fund to Salitu. That's our, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked you clothed me. That's what that money is for. Um, we have another one uh, allocation that we set aside for missions. That's how we've um, helped to send Rachel to the Congo and to Southeastern Asia and whatnot. We're taking our missions money, the money that we're not spending for uh, helping Rachel, uh, actually in, in a big chunk we sent to help as a home mission church to, to our brothers and sisters up in Flint as they reach a community that just can't afford to support the church itself. But we paid a year in, up front um, for that one. So that thing we don't have any more um, obligation to unless the Lord leads us to. But anyway, we're putting missions money aside because somebody needs to go and visit Salitu and help him and catch that heart and bring it back for the rest of us to see. Teresa and I know him. Um, Teresa would probably kill me if she wasn't one of the people that go. But um, anyway, you should pray because we're going to help somebody or some bodies go to Kenya and help him so that he's not overwhelmed with this burden, more than just money, and then bring that, that heart back here so that we're more and more encouraged to want to help him. Okay, all that said, let's get started. Quickly, um, for the purpose of review, our goal is to be individual uh, Christians and a church fellowship that demonstrate the will of God that we see in Scripture. So we've been on this, I don't know now, gosh, it's probably been a couple months where we've been trying to, to reconcile why do we see a church that looks like this when we read the Word, but a church that looks a little different than that when we see the church in, in our world today. And our mission is that we'll be the church that we see in the Bible that, that looks like... Um, 
fruit of the Spirit flowing in all of our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, all those kind of things flowing in our lives, um, the gifts of the Holy Spirit freely moving and operating and edifying the church, um, us being known as disciples of Jesus Christ by our love one for another, that somebody would see us and there would be such a love they would see between us that it would say, man, I, I want to join that club. That's the evangelistic draw uh, that Jesus talks about when he says, when they see you, they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. So that's kind of the mission. Um, last week, we started the process of how. How is it that we get ourselves there? And the how is the transformation that happens by the renewing of our minds, that we literally have to change our minds. The change that happens in this transformation uh, where, where Romans 12, 2 says, transformed by the renewing of their minds, that Greek word is the word that we translate into English, metamorphosis. So it's not, you know, there's something different about you. It's not like when you see somebody that used to have a mustache and now they don't and you can't quite figure out what's different. This is a change that's like the difference between a caterpillar and a butterfly. That's the metamorphosis, the transformation that will happen if we'll submit our minds to the truth and start to pull down these fortresses in our mind. We talked about that's the process. Scripture talks about um, thoughts, patterns of thoughts that won't stand obedient to Christ or to a true knowledge of God. Those things that it calls fortresses or um, strongholds in our minds. So as we identify those things and with the, the power of the Holy Spirit and our agreement, we start to tear them down and we replace them with the truth we'll start to operate and look like this church that we see in the Bible that would add two or 3,000 to their number in one day. That's, that's the uh, kind of quick review of where we've been, where we're going, and where we're at right at this moment. So then when I pray, the Holy Spirit is showing me what these strongholds are. We all have them. We all have these strongholds in our minds. And, and some of, uh, I might have some that you don't have, and, and you probably have some that I don't have, but I think what God's showing me is, is the corporate issues that he really wants us to deal with um, as a church body. And, and literally, there is none worse than... I don't know that. I guess the Bible doesn't actually tell me that. But, but experience and scripture would tell me that if it's not the biggest one that needs to be dealt with, it's one of the very biggest one that needs to be dealt with. So let's bridge from where we've been to today by um, way of an example. If you chain a baby elephant to a stake, he will try to get free, but he can't. The power of the chain and the stake on that little elephant's leg is greater than his strength, and eventually he learns that he's captive to the chain and he stops trying to free himself. As the elephant grows, he becomes strong enough physically, literally, to pull the stake from the ground or break the chain with very little effort. He doesn't try because he learned early in life that his bonds are unbreakable. So the question is, is the elephant free or not? The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty or freedom. How many Christians, literal, this is where the Spirit of the Lord is, how many Christians, literal temples of God, indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, live, appear in such a way that we would expect to see from what the scripture tells us, the abundant life, the power, the, all these different things, the joy, uh, the self-control, all these different things. How many do we see? Really not so many. So my question to you is, just like the elephant, is the Christian free or not? 
If the chain that once had the power to bind the elephant no longer has that power, what holds the elephant to the stake? What is the power that is actually holding that elephant to the, to the stake? The power is the fortress in his mind. That's the picture that I want you to get this morning is his physical power is absolutely way more than enough to get himself free. But the stronghold, that fortress in his mind that tells him that he can't, is literally binding him to something that he should be free from. The manifestation of his freedom won't be realized until the stronghold in his mind comes down. The very same scenario is true for the Christian. Ungodly fortresses, beliefs, and thoughts that oppose the true knowledge of God and won't stand obedient to Jesus Christ fill our heads, cloud our beliefs, and tether us to a stake that denies us the fullness of our privilege, power, joy, and effectiveness. Today we talk about unforgiveness, bitterness, judgment. Unforgiveness or forgiveness is the, is the word that I'll use throughout um, today's message, but it's really uh, a message about those three things. What would be in your heart that is bitter towards another person, that would be judgmental towards another person, or that would hold a debt to another person? The process that we're going to follow with each and every one of these things as the Lord shows them to us is first we're going to expose them. So Friday night when we come to pray, I might go there Friday night. I pray almost every single day when I pray, I ask the Lord. And I usually do it in the context of the Lord's Prayer to search my heart and show me, Lord, is there any place where I'm holding bitterness or judgment or unforgiveness? And if you'll expose it to me, I know that by your grace I can release it. So I might come Friday and say, you know, Lord, I'm just here to serve. Whatever you need me to do, pray for somebody. I'm your guy. Um, but he'll expose to me if there's something in there that I'm not even aware of. So the first key is we expose those things. The second is we're going to confess them. I mean, I'm, I'm saying it. you got to have to do it. I'm going to have to do it. Um, judgment and unforgiveness is a, is a deep thing that needs to come out. But we're going to confess them. In order to get loose of them, we have to understand they're there. We have to confess them. We have to consciously decide. Remember we talked about repentance, to turn away from those things. And we're going to replace them with biblical truth. Ultimately, following those steps will strip them of their power. We'll move on to the next one. To forgive is to excuse, pardon, exonerate, or absolve the debt or transgression owed to one person by another. So that's literally, um, when you forgive, that person owes you a debt. If somebody comes and... Um, curses me, then, then they owe me a debt that I can ask to be repaid. Okay? It's a debt. Someone takes ten, borrows $10 and I, I need to get it back, they owe me a debt. They owe me the $10. I can choose to get my $10 back if they'll give it to me, or I can release the debt and say you don't owe it anymore. But once I release it, they really don't owe it anymore. Be conscious that to forgive is not to continue to subject yourself to abusive treatment or behavior or words or whatever it was that you had to forgive for, okay? Sometimes people get balled up and they're like, well, I have to forgive, so, you know, this abusive person in my life, I just have to take it because I have to forgive. You do not have to take it. You are absolutely well within your biblical rights to separate yourself from those things that you would have to forgive somebody for, but you do need to forgive them, okay? So it doesn't mean that you said it's okay what a person did if you forgive them, and it doesn't mean that you have to continue to subject yourself to it if you forgive them. I feel like this is going to be sort of a, um academic session today. Um, so if it feels that way to you, bear with me. I, I think it's all good stuff. We're commanded to forgive others from our hearts. We're going to look at three different things that will um, 
help us to see scripturally where God's heart is with regard to forgiveness and unforgiveness. The first one is in the Lord's Prayer. Um, in the middle of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew uh, chapter 6 and verse 12, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and as he's doing, he says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So the key that we need to get this morning in this particular passage of Scripture, or this verse, is that we ask God to forgive us as we forgive others, right? We, we don't hold um, judgment against a person as we're asking God to forgive us something that we've done. The Scripture says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So as we forgive, we ask for forgiveness. There's a sequential process, I guess you could say, associated with that. Number two, the very first thing Jesus reinforces after teaching his disciples how to pray, right? The Lord's Prayer. Everybody's familiar with the Lord's Prayer. Uh, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, John the Baptist taught his disciples how to pray. You teach us how to pray. So this is red letters, Jesus' words, and he says, okay, pray this way. And he teaches them this thing that we call the Lord's Prayer, this pattern of prayer, these specifics to pray. And as soon as he finishes with that prayer, he immediately reinforces one part of the prayer, and that part is forgiveness. So in uh, verses 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 6, we read, For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. The key here is that we're only forgiven if we forgive. And I want you to see the, um, I don't know if binary means anything to you if you're a computer person. A binary is a zero or a one. There is no, it's black or white. There's no gray area. There's no 0 0.5. A binary is either this or it's that, nothing in between. When scripture talks about forgiving or not forgiving, it's absolutely binary. It's not um, gray area with caveats that you can make to God so he'll understand why yours is different. It's either you do or you don't. And if you do, you are. And if you don't, you're not. That's the way the scripture reads, and it's crystal, crystal clear. Okay, the third one is in Matthew chapter 18, and this is a fairly long course of scripture that I'm going to read to you. Verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to seventy times seven. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, uh, one who owed him ten thousand talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the money to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that he had, and repayment be made. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him that debt. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And he, real, or excuse me, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what, what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, 
You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? As his Lord moved with anger, or excuse me, and his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father, now remember, this is red letters, Jesus speaking. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Um, that's the course of scripture. I don't know how many times I'd read it that settled forgiveness and unforgiveness in my heart uh, from the perspective of believing that I understand what God wants me to understand. A few things that we should know from the scripture. The first, just to give you a sense for the difference in the debt, the guy that begged forgiveness and got forgiveness owed 10,000 talents. Um, our little book, John Arnott, said that would be roughly $108 million in today's. If you could somehow translate the currency and inflation, you'd find that 10,000 talents probably of silver is about $108 million. The second debt that that same person would not um, release was the equivalent of about $10,000 or $11,000, 100 denarii. So the, the difference is like a million to one. It's, it's the same as that $108 million, the magnitude of that debt is the is same as us, unpayable, our sin, an unpayable debt to God that he's released, okay? Um, hand it over to the torturers if we don't forgive our brothers and sisters. Literally, we'll be handed over. Men, in some parts of our lives, probably are, have been handed over to the torturers. Sometimes you'll see people, and, and they're Christians. They've confessed Christ as Lord, uh, although at least maybe in that area of their life, he's not Lord because they're holding on to a bitterness that, that he would command them not to. And, and you just see some folks that just sometimes they can't get ahead. Now, if, if some of you are struggling, I'm not here to tell you you need to forgive somebody and your life will get better, but maybe you do because these are literal things. People, um, this torment can look like um, never being able to get your head above water financially. It'll look like um, sickness in your body that you just can't seem to get loose of. It'll look like and very often look like Relationships that are just always a mess, that you can't ever seem to find um, peace with other people. That's the torturer, that's the tormentor that God has released on you because you've chosen not to forgive, or potentially could be, probably be a better way for me to say that. Um, there are people that live that way. I cannot tell you how many testimonies there are of, of physical healings where you'll pray for somebody and you won't see any manifestation of the healing. Um, I prayed with a guy one time, younger guy, and I don't even remember now what his, what his disorder was, but uh, he'd had it for years, and praying it, it was just, he wasn't getting any better as we were praying for him. So I've been trained about this kind of stuff, and I think it was the Holy Spirit that reminded me, and I asked him, when did it start? And he said, well, it started when I was about 16. And I asked him, did anything in, traumatic, did you have any kind of trauma in your life that happened around that same time? And he immediately said, yeah, that's when my dad left our family. And I said, okay. He, he, and I didn't ask him. I said, you don't need to tell me your business, but um, that's interesting. And he said, yeah, we had the most perfect family. Mom and a dad, we had a nice house. And then my dad found this other lady and fell in love with her. And 
left our family for her, and we had to sell our house, and we had to move away from the place that we were used to and where all of our friends were because we couldn't live there anymore because we didn't have my dad as part of the family to support the lifestyle that we'd had. I said, well, how do you feel about your dad? He said, you know, I really, I can't, I really don't like him. I can't stand him. And I really felt like the Lord had given us a key. So I started him down this process of, you know, what the Bible says and bitterness in your heart and you can't. And he said no. And I said, well, only you get to choose. I can't make you forgive your dad. But if you're truly a disciple of Christ, it's his commandment that you forgive. So we just sat a minute and prayed and, and we asked the Holy Spirit to speak to him. And he said, I think I can. And he spoke with his mouth, forgiveness over his father. We prayed again and whatever his disorder was, was healed instantly. Just like that. Just like that. I could if I could think about it, and I had Teresa to remind me, the one with the good memory, I could probably find you 10 or 15 more just like that, that, that the, the thing that blocked the healing in somebody's body was this holding on to bitterness, this torment that comes because we choose to be disobedient to God. That is the power of unforgiveness, the power that would hold you in this place, in, in that particular area of a person's life, would be the stake and the chain that you can't break. You're free if you're truly a Christian. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. But until that stronghold that says, I have a right to hold judgment against another brother comes down in your mind and is replaced with the truth that says, forgive your brother from your heart, you'll walk in the little circle that that chain will allow you. Once you release the thing, the chain comes off, and then you get to walk more in the fullness of what Jesus paid for. Um, I guess I kind of just did this. But let me give you another example. From the little books that we, booklets that we passed out, there were a couple of stories that really moved me in there. One of them was this lady who um, was on her way home from work. I think it said she was a nurse. And she must have got uh, an attacker, pulled her into an alley, and uh, raped her, and then tried to beat her to death with a steel pipe and left her laying there. He thought she was dead. She actually, you know, survived the beating and uh, had all of her ribs broken and they didn't heal properly. For seven years, she carried the, the weight of this thing in her soul, in her emotions. It was heavy burden. And her ribs, she was 24-7 in constant pain because of the, her rib cage didn't heal properly. So every time you take a breath, you expand your rib cage. If that thing's, if anybody's ever separated a rib or anything, you know the pain associated with just taking a breath in that, in that kind of a, a physical situation. She was um, being ministered to by, I think it was John or not, the, one of the authors of the book, and this thing came up. She said, I, oh, I think he was teaching on unforgiveness, and she said, you know what, I want you to pray with me. And they started to pray, and she starts releasing this man that did this to her of any debt that he owed her. And literally, as she was releasing him, they could both audibly hear the bones in her rib cage adjusting and shifting back into their right place. And to this day, uh, she is completely restored. And if that sounds far-fetched to you, literally about right where you guys are sitting there, we had um, Mike Taylor was uh, driving to work a year or so ago. He's an airline pilot. He was on his way to the airport in Detroit. He hit black ice. He drives a little, or at the time, a little pickup truck, and the thing rolled over, I think, four times, just jaws of life to get him out, and it, by God's grace, he wasn't killed, and, and the following Sunday, he was in church, but you wouldn't want to breathe on this guy. He was so beat up, and um, 
Holy Spirit led me to go pray for him. So I just sat in the chair next to him while he was worshiping and held his hand and started to pray. And he started squeezing my hand. I looked up at him. He's like, this is crazy. This is crazy. I'm like, what? He's like, can you hear it? And literally his ribs were cracking inside his chest. And he was healed right there in that spot where you guys are sitting. The Lord cracked his ribs. He's, he, and if you've got to know Mike, and you need to hear Mike here tell you the story, you might, might sound crazy, but that's God. It doesn't have anything to do with forgiveness, but it does kind of reinforce the ribs can get fixed story a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> I won't share the other story from the book. Um, like 42, 43, 44 page is where those couple of stories were. The other one was just about a, a guy whose um, son was mistaken for someone that owed a drug dealer money, and the drug dealer shot and killed him. And he had this terrible bitterness for this guy. The guy was in prison, but the Lord gradually worked, gradually worked in his heart, and as he released that bitterness, his own life became better, but the story ends with, that young man is like a son to me now. He is not the same man. He's found the Lord, and God can do a work like that. It's just absolutely amazing. Okay, let's move on. There are these two levels with regard to um, debts that people would owe us that we can live at. We can live at the justice level, which is the lower of the two. It's, it's a level that's kind of um, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And it's, it's a perfectly, acceptable is the wrong word, but you, you are absolutely have the right to live at the justice level. When someone does something to you, you can demand justice. It's fair. It's okay. You can have justice for what's been done to you. The second level is the higher level, and that's the mercy level or the grace level. That is kind of a, the New Testament, the New Covenant um, teaching for how you deal with these kinds of things. And in that level, you ask God for forgiveness. He pays the price for your sin in the name of his son, Jesus. And then as you receive the mercy that he gave you through the sacrifice of his son, you are then expended, expended, expected to extend that same mercy to others as they come to you. So you can pick either. You can be a justice person or you can be a mercy person. The thing you need to really consider and be aware of is you can't be both. Typically what we want is we want mercy for ours, for the things that we do wrong, right? Because we can understand, I was having a bad day and this and this and this thing and it was the perfect storm and it caused me to just do this and you can understand I need mercy. But when we're on the other end of that thing and the guy who had the bad day and the perfect storm and then they did wrong to us, we want some justice for that one. You can't have both. God makes available to us the mercy seat. If we're to sit in the mercy seat, we have to extend mercy. If we're going to sit in the mercy seat and extend judgment, then that chair is not available to us anymore. Choose mercy. So let me give you three quick um, pushbacks. When I minister to somebody who's got a stronghold, or a stronghold, maybe it's both, stronghold, of a judgment for a person, this is what I hear. God understands how I feel. God knows. He understands, and he's merciful. It's okay. Well, I absolutely guarantee you that God does understand. When somebody did you wrong, if nobody else understood, God understood. And I absolutely agree that God is merciful, but God does not give you a pass because he understands and because he's merciful. His word says that you must forgive. The second one that I hear is, you don't understand what so-and-so did to me. And my answer to that is, you're right. I don't understand what so-and-so did. I don't know why so-and-so would do it. And I don't begin to understand the pain that you feel because so-and-so did it. But you're not given a pass to forgive. 
And the third one is, I could never forgive so-and-so for what they did. I just can't. That's the one I hear the most. I just can't. I'm sorry. I, I ministered to a lady. You've heard the story probably five times. She had carpal tunnel. I never even spoke to her. I just prayed with her really fast, and God healed carpal tunnel. Months later, I saw her. Carpal tunnel was healed, gone. She had that second time. She said, I sure wish you would have prayed for my arthritis. And she had these old kind of cringled up hands with big fat knuckles. We prayed for them and watched the knuckles shrink right there before our eyes. And the articulation in the hands was perfect. She said, well, hey, as long as, you know, this is great, I have this problem with my knee. Prayed for the knee, nothing. Started asking the question. Such bitterness towards her daughter. It was just unbelievable. So I tried to take her down this path of, hey, come on, you know what? Maybe God in his grace, he was so graceful that he took care of the carpal tunnel and he healed your hand, but he's really wanting you to release your daughter from this judgment. Let's just start, even if you don't mean it, let's try to say the words. No, I won't. I will not. I won't do it. I can't. Over and over again. And, I'm, and I mean, she walked away, limped away. Her knee just as messed up as when she came because she could not get herself to do it. And really, the, the word isn't could not, it's would not. She chose not to. No matter how bad the thing is, maybe you cannot, but the grace of God is sufficient for everything that he would ask or command you to do. His grace is sufficient to forgive any debt. People who lost their parents in the Holocaust have forgiven the Nazis. His power, his grace, your agreement equals 100% of everything that's necessary for you to be able to release a debt for another person. If you think you can't, I just want to read something to you. And Mike, you get ready in case I have trouble. On October 3rd, 2006, 10 girls were shot in an, Am or excuse me, in an Amish school at Nickel Mines, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania. Charles Carl Roberts IV, 32, a milk delivery person from Bart Township, Pennsylvania, entered an old order Amish one-room school at about 10 a.m. carrying a 9-millimeter handgun, a 12-gauge shotgun. I'm not going to read all of this because we've got some young people in here. Um, a rifle, a bag of black powder, two knives, tools, a stun gun, 600 rounds of ammunition, wire, and plastic ties. Perhaps anticipating a long siege, he also brought a change of clothing. He ushered 15 boys, one pregnant woman, and three other women with infants from the school. He bound 11 students who remained, all girls, aged 6 to 15, with plastic flex ties and prepared to shoot them. Student Marion Fisher, 13 years old, stepped forward and asked that he shoot me first in an apparent effort to buy some time for the remaining students. Her younger sister, Barbie, 11, asked Roberts to shoot me second. There's no... There's no love greater than that one would lay down his life for another. These are 13, 13 and 11-year-old girls that get Jesus really, really well. I'm still okay, though. Shoot me second. He shot 10 young girls. Three died immediately. Two others died in the hospital by the next morning. One of the dead was Marion Fisher, the 13-year-old girl that asked to be shot first. Roberts committed suicide when the police stormed the school. The Christian response, that's my words on this thing. 
On the day of the shooting, a grandfather of one of the murdered Amish girls was heard warning some young relatives not to hate the killer, saying, we must not think evil of this man. Another Amish father noted he had a mother and a wife and a soul, and now he's standing before a just God. Robert's family spokesman, Robert's being the man that killed these girls, a Robert's family spokesman said an Amish neighbor comforted the Roberts family hours after the shooting and extended forgiveness to them. Amish community members visited and comforted Roberts' widow, parents, and parents-in-law. One Amish man held Roberts' sobbing father in his arms, reportedly for as long as an hour to comfort him. The Amish have also set up a charitable fund for the family of the shooter. About 30 members of the Amish community attended Roberts' funeral. And Marie Roberts, the widow of the killer, was one of the few outsiders invited to the funeral of one of the victims. Marie Roberts wrote an open letter to her Amish neighbors, thanking them for their forgiveness, grace, and mercy. She wrote, Your love for our family has helped to provide the healing we so desperately need. Gifts you've given have touched our hearts in a way no words can describe. Your compassion has reached beyond our family, beyond our community, and is changing our world. And for this, we sincerely thank you. Oh, man. I don't know much about Amish. You know, I'm um, ministering to this guy, and he needs Jesus so bad. And the thing that's keeping him from stepping across the line and asking Jesus to be Lord is the hypocrisy he sees in Christians. And sometimes it makes me ashamed to be a fellow with hypocrisy. I mean, even my own. When I read this, it makes me so proud to be a Christian. It makes me so proud to be a follower and a disciple of Jesus Christ because we get it. I mean, we do. They get it. I don't know. There might be something in their doctrine that I would consider screwy, but I could care less. Anybody that could forgive the way they forgive and, and minister to people that are hurting and their person is the one that caused the pain. That's beautiful. That's powerful. That's the heart I want to have. I don't want to hold a tiny fraction of an ounce of bitterness or judgment against anybody. I don't want that boat anchor around my leg, and I don't want it around yours. And God doesn't want it around any of ours. That's why I want you guys to come on Friday. Come on Friday. Be ready for the Holy Spirit to touch you. Pray this week. That get rid of this stuff. Just get rid of it. It's funny, every time I pray it, well, no, sometimes I don't get anything where I think I'm okay. But there's only one person that I ever comes in my heart when I'm praying that. I have to constantly, constantly, constantly ask God for the grace. Because I don't even feel like I'm holding anything, but the Holy Spirit is showing me, so I know that I have to confess it, I have to repent from it. So let's just pray together now. Oh, God. Thank you so much, Lord. Thank you for the witness of those Amish people, God, of those Christian people. Thank you so much, Lord, for the, for the love, the, the perfect love. No greater love is this than someone would lay down their life for another. The example, your son, the disciple, those two little girls that said, take us and leave the rest, Lord. Oh, my gosh. The men that said, we can't have hate in our hearts for these people. 
That man had a soul. He had a mother and a father, a wife. He had children. Those people are going to be hurting. We have to reach out to those people. We have to pull them in. We have to make sure they know Jesus so they can get loose of this thing. God, I, I just thank you so much for people that are like you, for your spirit that helps us to be that way. The only power, only power that can cause us to be like Christ from glory to glory to glory, transformed in the perfect image of your son, God. That's our goal. We want to be like you, Jesus. We want to be like you, dead men walking, dragging that cross everywhere we go, Lord. So let's start with this one, God. Any other one that you want, but this time it's forgiveness, Lord. This week as we pray, as we go through our days, Lord, as, as we're conscious of hearing your voice and the, the, just the still small impressions that will come to us in our minds from you, God, I pray that you'll be preparing us, that we will release it, God, that, that you'll expose it to us, that by your grace we'll confess it, we'll repent from it, and we'll replace it with the truth that we find in your word, God, that we see modeled by awesome people like those Christians in Pennsylvania. Thank you, God, that we have hope, that we don't have to hold people in judgment or bitterness. All things are possible with God, that you won't leave us an unfinished work, us like you. Lord, I ask that you continue to watch after Hunter and Krista and baby Judah and all the moms that are carrying the babies now, Lord. Sarah Kate, how are you feeling? Pretty pretty good. A little bit left yet? Sarah Kate came here with uh, cold symptoms and whatnot and just through worship, God was healing her up. Thank you, Lord. We believe These signs will follow those that believe. What's the key? We have to believe. How do we believe? We rip these things down, Lord. Tear them down. Replace them with the good.